I want to mention one of the thoughts, which I thought, uh, speaking of thoughts, I thought that this made a lot of sense and it really has very little to do with politics or it, it, you know, it has a lot to do with politics, but it has to do with everyday life. And that was uh, Lao Tzu's uh, famous saying, knowing others is intelligence, knowing yourself is true wisdom. Mastering others is strength. Mastering yourself is true power. So I'm not, I mean, you can apply it in all kinds of ways to political matters. Uh, but boy, it just seems like something you might want to apply to every facet of life. Yeah, it's something that uh, Jordan Peterson has been talking about in recent years quite a lot. And I think it was kind of common understanding years ago. You know, and this is, in a sense, this is the common sense wisdom of the ages. A lot of what Lao Tzu says in his Tao Te Ching is kind of controversial by Western standards, but it's not controversial. That statement isn't very controversial. No. What will be more controversial is probably everything that follows this point at This Week in Common Sense. This Week in Common Sense is the podcast of Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Verkula. I help Paul run through the big stories of the week that have appeared on his website. This is commonsense.org. That's the site of his commentary, Common Sense with Paul Jacob, that he's been running since 1999. And we're going to talk about the five pieces he wrote, argue a bit, maybe not. We'll see how it goes. So I really wanted to, to focus on two commentaries uh, I did this week with your help, Tim. But I wanted to mention uh, three of the commentaries just real quickly and encourage people to go to thisiscommonsense.org and, uh, and read for yourself, uh, you know, 250, 300 words. Uh, we try to be quick, to the point, provide some links for more information and highlight things that that tell us something about the world we live in and the political situation we find ourselves in. And the, the first one I wanted to mention was today's uh, gun grabbing G-men. And uh, we, we've, we've seen some of these cases in different, in different times. They haven't all been FBI, uh, but we're police and it generally has been uh I, I meant to, to Google and, and, and see or, or search on our site, but I recall doing a script about the ATF uh, going around trying to basically take people's guns away or ask them a bunch of questions about their guns, which, of course, the government has exactly zero right uh, to ask you questions and expect any answers uh, when it comes to your behavior that doesn't violate any criminal law. And in fact, even when it does violate any criminal law, stop watching Law and & Order and start asking for your attorney and don't answer any questions because you have a right to remain silent. And anything you say or do, not only can they use it against you, but they will use it against you and they will twist it and distort it and use it against you. Don't believe me? <laughs> oh, it's a it's a rough world out there for people who want to blab on and on and answer every question. And and look, I, uh, you know, I, I have the same kind of feelings, you know, that, uh, gee, I don't have anything to hide. You know, I'm I'm more than willing to talk until you realize that there's nothing you can say that can help you. But anything you can say can be literally twisted into a pretzel and used against you. You know, I repeat that lawyer's wisdom all the time to, you know, when I, when I have a chance, when we talk about this stuff with friends. And yet when the police came by to this house where I'm at right now, three years ago, two years ago, uh, because a crazy neighbor accused us of something untrue, uh, a drunk neighbor, actually, uh, an interloper even, uh, I just talked blab to the police. I lucked out. But partly what I think it was is that I had a higher status than the person who accused me. I think that's basically all it was. Right. So if you're a low status person, it's really important that you don't talk. 
You know, I had uh, just to go down this rabbit hole. I had a uh, a relative who was working for me, driving a big wooden Trojan horse to be part of a campaign in California. I think he was crossing the Sierra Nevadas, and uh, uh, he got pulled over. And maybe he wasn't crossing because I think he was actually in Nevada. But uh, but he got pulled over. Uh, he'd done nothing wrong. They wanted to search and, you know, and the, the car and this and that. And so he called me and said, what do you, what do you think I should do? And he said, <laughs> he said, you know, generally I don't like to allow police to search when they really shouldn't have any reason to, and don't have any right to. But he said, I, I have a feeling I'm going to spend lots of hours on the highway here. And I said, well, you know, it, it's your call, but I don't have any problem. We haven't, you know, hidden any kilos of heroin in the, uh, you know, the Trojan horse. So I think we should be okay. And so obviously there are times where, you know, you're going to assess a situation and, uh, and, and see that, you know, it's easy enough that the better path is to respond. Um, but I do know that oftentimes I work out of my house and and I'm not a fan of Law and Order. It's like my least favorite show. But my wife sometimes has it on, and so when I come downstairs to get more coffee, and if it's on, I always just kind of mutter as I pass, "Don't talk to the police. Call your lawyer. Ask for a lawyer. Ask for a lawyer." So, um, you know, it's it's easier to give that advice uh, uh, on people on television than it is in real life. But it the the importance. And the and the, uh, the 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 lesson of how bad it can be when you blab on to the police um, is is worth paying attention to, nonetheless. And it's also probably worthwhile mentioning we're not talking about the police; we're talking about the FBI. And In the this FBI, piece, and the FBI right. really is a, a different kettle of fish, too. I mean, I kind of trust my local constabulary somewhat, uh, but I don't trust the FBI. And we have, as far as, and as you conclude, we don't really have much reason to trust the FBI anymore. No, and, and we did the piece uh, a week ago, two weeks ago, yeah. where uh, uh, Mike Pence, uh, you know, said something about how can Republicans attack the FBI? You know, these are these are our superheroes. And, uh, and geez, that would be nice. But it's just not true. And it's not it's not something that happened yesterday. They have a long history. Now, I think they've gotten worse and worse, <clears throat> but they have a long history. In this particular piece, what the FBI has been doing, and there's 15 incidences that have been kind of documented by gun owners of America uh, who has objected. And uh, but there could be many, many, many more because, of course, people don't always, you know, scream and say, hey, I want publicity. The FBI is harassing me. But they've gone after people who are, let's say, mentally compromised at some level, not to the extent that they could be denied their Second Amendment rights, but to the extent that they're not F. Lee Bailey, uh, they're not, you know, they're not, you know, super intelligent and aware and, and, you know, whole from a mental standpoint. And they, the FBI is trying to get them to sign a, a statement saying they give up their Second Amendment rights. Now, that's not exactly how it works, as we point out in the piece. But this is the sort of behavior that if they have time to do that, meaning they've solved all the other problems in our society, then why don't we just shut the FBI down? It is, you know, they should never be doing this sort of thing. It, you know, if you believe that the FBI had gotten a bum rap all these years and all these different incidences, this would be exactly the type of thing that you would say, geez, that... That puts them in such a bad light when they're otherwise just wonderful. Um, the FBI has a long history of breaking the law, of behaving badly, even sometimes when it's within the law. There's a question here as to you know what level they may have violated somebody's civil rights, but it's not like you know they didn't beat anybody up. Uh, it, it may not be as obvious a, a, a breaking of the law, but it's a, it's a it's a real problem. When when I hear things like this, it just to me confirms that it is rotten 
all the way to the core. So I encourage folks, go to thisiscommonsense.org and uh, read Gun Grabbing G-Men. That was our uh, Friday commentary. And then there's two others that that I wanted to mention. Uh, One is Okay Not to Harm. Uh, And this is a court decision where uh, finally uh, the Fifth Circuit, uh, well, I shouldn't say finally because the lower court uh, also got it right. (laughs) The Fifth Circuit just affirmed the lower court, but basically saying that, no, you cannot force people. Uh, In this case, uh, it was, uh, uh, this is the Franciscan Alliance and of course, they're Catholic uh, uh, doctors and nurses and a Catholic uh, medical uh, hospital and, and medical society. And, and they don't want to perform abortions. They don't want to perform uh, gender reassignment surgeries. And they ended up having to go to court because they were being threatened uh, with with lawsuits. And, and uh, I think, you know, this is the sort of thing that we've seen in other cases. Uh, you know, the baker who has to bake a cake for somebody or else the florist who has to do some, you know, floral design. But this is a little different because it involves people's lives and deaths. And, uh, and you know, we could we could talk about abortion. We could talk about uh, all the transgender issues that are out there. But we don't have to reach those. We don't have to form some consensus in society over abortion or over uh, transgender uh, rights or gender you know, surgeries, gender reassignment surgeries. We just have to embrace freedom and say that you can basically say no. I, I'm a doctor, but I don't do that particular surgery. And you ought to have the same freedom to say you don't perform an abortion or you're not going to perform some gender reassignment surgery as you would have to say, you know what? I'm an ear, nose and throat specialist. I'm not going to fix your toe. Um, it's called freedom. We ought to have a lot more of it. And the nice thing about it is not only does it free people up, who are in these situations where their conscience is being stomped on and they have to go to court to protect themselves, but it would free the rest of us up from being a bunch of busybodies who decide everybody else's lives. Let people decide their own lives. So I encourage you to go there. There's links to other uh, pieces there. Okay, not to harm. Isn't that nice? You don't have to harm people if you don't want to. At least, as we point out in this, at least if you're the Franciscan Alliance. And one of the things that we point out in this piece is that it ought freedom ought not to be just reserved for people who have a certain religious belief. I, I think it's great that throughout American history, there has been at least some accommodation for understanding that people have a different religious belief. Uh, even as much as I hate the draft, it's, it's something to say that, that there has been some recognition that certain religious sects are not going to be conscripted to go to war because they don't believe in violence. They're pacifists. And, and to have some respect, and I don't want to overstate it because those folks have been stomped on many times by our government, but as a society, we have had a little bit more uh, of a belief that we ought to you know, give people their religious beliefs and, and, and tread lightly on those sorts of things. That's great, but freedom should be across the board. And if you have a moral belief that doesn't involve a supreme being or an official recognized religious objection, that should be given the same weight as anyone's religious objection. You know, there's a very similar subject, just like it's a hair's breadth away, right? Uh, Which is freedom of the press. And it's been interpreted by courts as some business that has a press that actually cranks out papers or or less so with things online and and things in the airwaves. 
somehow uh, I never understood that. But but if you have a press that cranks out papers, then you have a lot of freedoms. But you and I doing the same thing on our blog doesn't seem to be uh, until recently hasn't been uh, protected. And it should be a, a press is the freedom of the press is something anyone can have because press is just yes. it's just putting your words, freedom of speech down on paper or some other medium that has a more permanence, right? It can be carried around and passed around and, and distributed somehow. And uh, so religions get a carve out with the first amendment with, you know, the two clauses about religion and journalists think they have a carve out for more freedoms than the rest of us have. And that's the point you're making. Really. They don't. That's just a way of reiterating no the basic right. idea. And, and uh, that's something that I think it's going to take a while for people to get used to. Uh, but I think it's a really important one. I'm glad you made that point. Well, and I'm glad you picked up and made the connection because it, it is the same sort of thing. Um, the, the other part of that, I guess, too, is to recognize the nature of government. We have the First Amendment. Everybody, you know, constantly salutes and says it's a wonderful thing. They believe in freedom of speech, except when they don't. Uh, but, but, you know, it gets a lot of lip service. But when radio is invented, the government doesn't give it any of the same freedoms. It regulates it. When TV is invented and sweeps the country, we have a federal communications commission that regulates it. Um, that There's nothing like that for newspapers. Why? Because in the Bill of Rights and the First Amendment, it specifically gives the press that freedom. And, and you would think that logically that would follow that anybody, whether they use a pieces of paper or whether they use, you know, magnetic ink or, you know, whatever, that they would have the same freedom. But we have to fight for all of them because government's knee-jerk. And, and it's not some, you know, it's not some amorphous thing. It's people. People in power don't want people out of power to get to say anything they don't want them to say. And they can't stomp on them if they have a, a press, because it says right there in the First Amendment, but they think they can stop on them if they can somehow say, oh, it's not a press, it's a blog, it's a TV show, it's a whatever. And that is absolutely ridiculous. But it, but we, we should remember, they're not going to, they're not going to give us our rights unless we fight for every single one of them. And they're never going to look to expand those rights they're always looking to contract them. And it's something worth remembering when right now the dominant political party says that the other party wants to take away rights and they want to extend them. If both parties have their rights they favor and the rights they don't, I think we can agree with that. Uh, uh, certainly, I know there are a lot of interesting social conservatives, including my favorite podcaster of all time, uh, would would right now like that get rid of pornography if he had, if he had the chance? Frankly, who's I your favorite? That, who's your favorite podcaster? Matt Walsh is far and away the best podcast. Oh, okay, okay. I think he just, would he would get rid of. Uh, oh yeah, he said it many times. There's a he is not a libertarian, that's for sure. He sees a conservative, right. and he, he, I well, mean, and he's, I agree with him so much of the time, and then there he goes. <laughs> right, and and look, you know, I think pornography is poison. But, you know, uh, alcohol is poison. Cigarettes are poison. Uh, too many cheeseburgers are uh, become kind of poisonous. And we don't get to judge and, and run everybody else's life. But uh, no, I think, I, I, think a, I, I think there is a carve out area, though, uh, where freedom isn't quite the rule. And I know this is where it gets controversial with libertarians and conservatives and everybody. And that's children. I think that parents uh, have... Uh, some obligations and as well as rights to curb what children can see and do. I think it's just obvious. And it's only when you're uh, emancipated that you get to be free. I think that's actually the, the, the crucial issue that's missing from our civilization right now it is when and why are people emancipated? And because that's fuzzed up, I think that the very idea of freedom is in part uh, eroded. That's interesting. I, I, I'm a big believer in parental rights, per, per, uh, 
parental, you know, uh, ability to control and and dictate their children's upbringing. In my mind, though, that doesn't give you a right to beat your child or harm your child in any way. It gives you the legal presumption that if if a parent if 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 we don't know on first blush, the parent has the authority. If we find out that that authority has been abused, well, there's no, oh, well, I, I beat my kid, but hey, I'm the parent. That doesn't work. Or I, I, you know, I allowed my kid to watch, you know, at two years old to watch pornography, uh, vicious pornography day and night. Um, it seems to me that that's going to get somebody pulled into court. And and uh, and and there are damages there. And so you don't get to damage the kid. But this idea that somehow, you know, the school has an equal right to the kids or the government has an equal right to the kids that that's going nowhere but a very dangerous place. Right. One piece that is my favorite, uh, because I think this is mine. I think this is my title. Uh, You know, regular listeners know that that uh, Tim is the title wizard. Uh, at thisiscommonsense.org, and I'm I'm constantly, you know, I think I have a great title, and then it, you know, you'll say, well, it's a little, it doesn't quite fit, and then you come up with something brilliant, and and so my hat's off to you. But this title is mine, and uh, it's zombie vote protected, and you're going to hear a lot. Uh, I'm involved in in uh, uh, initiative in in Michigan. Uh, trying to defeat an initiative in Michigan that would outlaw voter ID. While it pretends that it's establishing voter ID, the actual thing it does, this is proposal two in Michigan, uh, beyond the November ballot, the actual thing it does is to say that you can vote without having any ID whatsoever. That's their voter ID plan. You can vote by simply signing a statement that says you are who you say you are. That's their ID. That's their idea. Uh, idea. <laughs> I want to put an R on that. It's late Friday <laughs> night. Come on. Anyway, um, that's that's their idea of voter ID. Of requiring photo ID is to pass a constitutional amendment that says you don't ever have to show photo ID. You don't have, ever have to show any ID whatsoever. You can simply sign a statement. And then it's it's over. Nobody can question you. It says right in the Constitution that is valid proof of your identity. So, uh, and of course, what is the news media for the most part in Michigan doing? Buying it hook, line, and sinker, repeating it as if it was voter ID, because the media, for the most part, is in on the political game. I mean, if if you believed in campaign finance rules where we get to know every penny that's spent by anybody who's trying to influence elections, then all of the media would have to file as campaign finance, uh, as as political uh, action committees, because that's what they are. So anyway, but this is about Arizona, where a judge stepped in and stop them from doing all kinds of things, including taking people off the rolls who are dead. I mean, if this law had stayed on the books, dead people couldn't vote anymore in Arizona. And that's why the title is Zombie Vote Protected. But the the two pieces uh, I I wanted to talk about uh, most our first-class arrogance, this was uh, Tuesday's piece, and it's about uh, the mayor of New Orleans, Latoya Cantrell, who basically said, look, one thing is clear. I do my job, and I will continue to do it with distinction and integrity every step of the way. Now, you might wonder when someone says that, what are they talking about? What sort of integrity are they demonstrating, you know, written large? Well, her integrity is that she had gotten first class travel on the city's dime to go to France. She spent $18,000. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm only only so much choked up about what she did, but um, but she she spent eighteen thousand dollars on a flight to France. Uh, I've flown to France before. It didn't cost me eighteen thousand dollars, and I survived. But she spent a total of all kinds of with all kinds of different flights of twenty nine thousand dollars. And when I say she spent it, it wasn't her money. It was city money. And New Orleans has a very clear policy that if you're using city money to buy your ticket, you have to go coach or you can fly first class. You can, you know, you can take a yacht, but you're going to have to pay the difference. Now, if you're a regular employee, that means you're going to fly, you know, coach or you're going to have to pay but she doesn't think she should have to pay. And why shouldn't she have to pay? Well, because she's the mother of a daughter who she's doing a wonderful job with, and she's responsible for that daughter. And if she didn't fly first class, something could happen to her. Apparently, she thinks those of us sitting in the cheap coach seats are pretty vile folks, and who knows what terrible thing we would do. She also pointed out that she's a black woman. And therefore, she has to fly first class. She can't survive on an airplane unless she's flying first class, which is kind of funny because I fly a good bit and I fly with people who are black and white and Hispanic and Asian. And, and I'm always in, in coach and I've never seen anybody, you know, beaten to a pulp. I mean, I've seen a few things on TV, but uh, but but I don't think it has anything to do with being in coach or your sex or your race. And this is, this is where we've gotten as just a pitiful, sick society where she thinks she can peddle that kind of garbage and get away with it. It'll be interesting to see whether she does. The city is saying she has to pay, but I wonder whether there will any ever be any enforcement of that and whether she'll ever have to pay uh, this twenty nine thousand uh, dollars. It's just and and what's the takeaway? Oh, you know, we can be mad at politicians. My takeaway is this. We expect politicians to behave badly. Throughout my whole life, I've seen them behave badly and then I've seen them at times get caught. And oftentimes then to be contrite and to be worried about the backlash from the public and to say, you know, hey, I'm really sorry. I, I misunderstood. I made a mistake, whatever. And, and my experience has been that the public is fairly forgiving, not always, but oftentimes um, much more forgiving, I think, than they should be to these people in power. But when someone is caught doing this, clearly violating a policy, clearly taking things that don't belong to her, and her response when she's caught is to feed us this line of bull, what does that say about her fear of our ability to hold her accountable? It says she doesn't think we have any ability to hold her accountable. And this is not a problem that is isolated to New Orleans. This is a problem that's everywhere, everywhere in our country, at the national level and at the local level and in the state capitol. And how long can we survive as a sort of kind of free society if politicians can do whatever they damn well please, and then when they get caught ripping us off, they just feed us some bull and say, yeah, tough, and that's it. And I'll tell you what, there's one silver lining in this story. And that silver lining is that the Times-Picayune, and I think it's the Advocates, the, the other paper that's associated with them, uh, which I think is more of a weekly uh, I'm, I'm not sure, but uh, both of these papers poll together and they did a poll and they found out that a majority of the people of New Orleans would recall her. So we may see a recall campaign in New Orleans and boot her out that way. 
The reason that that's so important is my guess is that if she's not recalled, that she controls enough of the purse strings of the city and has enough clout that she will do enough favors and, and you know, uh, have the big folks on her side and she will win the Democratic primary. And that means she will win the general election in New Orleans and she will continue to be mayor term after term, ripping people off and then literally spitting in their face figuratively, uh, not literally, but figuratively, without the recall. And it's why we have to, especially in a partisan city like that, where it's a one party thing and it's the machine, you need the recall to be able to focus directly on her bad behavior. Now, politicians trying to get, you know, extra goodies out of their jobs is hardly new. In this case, she gave a racial, racist, anti-racist argument. A lot of it was about her daughter, which was the most confused part of the story. And that it was it was it was also so self-indulgent. Right. That she's doing a wonderful job with her daughter. Who says that? She does. And and look, I'm, I'm not saying she's doing a terrible job. I don't know. But I have my suspicion that someone who has that little regard for the truth, for decency, for ethics, is really doing such a wonderful job with her daughter. I hope her daughter doesn't hear any of the political statements she makes. Yeah, I think that's really about status. And since she used the racial angle, I think that she's been herself greatly harmed by the race hustlers. You know, the, the constant uh, you know, resentments against, you know, white supremacists. Apparently, only you can be uh, confident enough to be in, cl- uh, in coach because you're, you know, white privilege. Uh, <laughs> she, black, can't do that. She can't be. In the, and maybe it's just something as simple as that, <laughs> the story, what she lives by is, is the Rosa Parks story. You know, the blacks once were in the back of the bus, so they can't be in the back of airplanes. I think that that element of status and uh, sort of a very, you know, I'll just put it that it's a status thing. And I think a lot of, a lot of weird politics in our time is, is about status that people like you and me who don't think about status personally very much, aren't really very status conscious and probably not conscious enough. This reminds me. And sometimes I'll joke with my wife. I'll say, uh, uh, you know, somebody's going to do say, Do they know who I am? You know, and that's the classic political line. Not that they're more important than anyone because they love everyone and everyone's equal. But the second they get pulled over by a a policeman for speeding, do you know who I am? I am super important. I'm powerful. And and it's it's that. And and I think the the racial component of it is because that's an easy that's an easy bell to ring. But she doesn't for one second think that flying to France first class is really safer because if as a black woman, she couldn't fly coach to Europe. I mean, come on. It's it's silliness. Yeah, it is silly. But don't you think maybe she thinks that flying first class is recompense for all those years, Jim Crow? And, you know, I mean, that's the kind of thing a lot of people don't. I don't actually, I, I, I think it's, I think it's more personal than that. In other words, because, you know, you know, all kinds of people who are also black, who don't behave anything like that ever. Sure. They don't think that they're owed something because something happened and she doesn't either. She thinks she's owed something because she's special because she's important because she won an election. And that means she gets to rule. And, you know, if you want to live in a free country, you need to not elect people who think they get to rule over you in that way once they get elected. And that's why the recall is, you know, I've I have not been involved in that many recalls. I've been involved in a few. Uh, And and it's not as important, I think, as the initiative process or even the referendum, the initiative being where voters can petition to put a measure on the ballot. Uh, the referendum where they can petition to put something the legislature has done on the ballot to maybe overrule the legislature. I think those are more important. But the more time goes on, the more I get old, uh, the more I really think 
the recall is just as important because so many times the political process is distorted. And uh, and it's the sort of thing where someone can hold on to power when if they were put up on the ballot and the electorate was electorate was asked, do you want to keep them or not keep them? We would vote. Do not keep them. Let's get somebody new. Well, that was uh, certainly a fun uh, story. I like these kind of stories. Yeah, you know, it's it's sometimes um, through the years, I've kind of shied away from this sort of stuff because it's almost like it's low hanging fruit. It's, you know, but and and maybe it's it's too much, of, you know, that the problem is these people are bad people. And and they are bad people. I mean, that is part of the problem. But the truth is, even less bad people will become worse if they're put in a position of power and there's no accountability. And so I I think that these stories are much more instructive than I used to think. Um, and they're and they're fun in the sense of, oh my goodness, can you believe what they've said now? Well, let, let's jump to our uh, last uh, of the five commentaries, and that is Pawns in Their Shame. And this is a piece that uh, is about what's being talked about quite a lot on, on all the cable you know, news, CNN, MSNBC, Fox. And that is what started with uh, Governor Abbott in Texas sending a very small percentage of the uh, folks coming, migrants coming across the border illegally into, into Texas um, and taking some of them and sending them places outside of Texas, like New York City, which is a sanctuary city, like Washington, D.C., which is a sanctuary city. Now, when I wrote this piece earlier this week, uh, Governor DeSantis in Florida had not yet sent two plane loads full of, I don't know how full they were, but two plane loads with, I think, about 50 migrants to Martha's, Martha's Vineyard in, uh, in Massachusetts, uh, which is an island. And I've, I've heard that in watching the news several times, like send them to an island as if they couldn't ever leave the island. I mean, I think there's a road. Maybe it's a ferry. But, I mean, people leave the island all the time. It's not as if they're locked to that island. And of course, as I point out in this piece, there's been all this, you know, they're sending migrants different places. Well, that's what happens. That's what the federal government does. If they're upset about that, that's what Joe Biden does. They send them different places in the country. And of course, they don't send them anywhere against their will. And neither has anyone really alleged that that uh, Governor Abbott has done that or, or uh, the governor in, in Arizona, uh, Doug Ducey. Uh, I think I got that name right. All of a sudden it didn't sound right. But, uh, uh, but you know, they've been doing some of this, sending them different places. So does the federal government do that? Now, I do happen to think that it's not funny to treat people in any, any way less than respectful, especially if they have earned that respect or not done anything. I mean, obviously, if, if someone's, you know, causing a big problem, you might have to arrest them at some point. That's, you know, maybe less respectful. But that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is it's not OK to trick somebody and send them someplace they don't want to go. Um, that has not been shown to be the case in any of these. That's been alleged a lot in this latest uh, thing with DeSantis and sending them to Martha's Vineyards that they they didn't know where they were going, that they were told they were going to get jobs. Uh, let's hear a little bit more, because frankly, I don't trust anything I hear from the media until it is proven. If 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 somebody some politician on TV says something that I'm not sure is true, I don't believe them until it is demonstrated that it's true. And you know what? When a reporter says something or a news anchor or some talking head on TV says something, I don't believe them until it's been demonstrated to be true because my experience is they lie. And it used to be, you know, if I said that about politicians, I think people would 
you know, for years go, well, yeah, of course, we all know they lie. But I don't think people realize, uh, you know, I don't think people 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, thought all reporters and, and media people lie. Now, I think, and I don't mean all, I'm, I'm being a little hyperbolic in that way. Uh, they don't all there's there's Fred Jones somewhere in a cubicle in some newspaper who's not lying at this moment. Um, but but we can't trust them. And so I, I do. I would like to see more evidence that anybody has been misled. If they have been misled to get them onto a plane or to get them onto a bus and send them somewhere, then that's not right. But the the whole point of this commentary was that these people are being treated like pawns, but it's not just the governors who are demonstrating. I mean, every time you hear Mariel Bowser, the mayor of New York, or uh, or Adams, the mayor of, uh, I mean, the mayor of Washington, or Adams, the mayor of New York, uh, cry and moan and talk about how terrible it is that these small number of migrants have been sent to their city, they prove the, I mean, they're doing exactly what Governor Abbott wants them to do, which is to show that, yes, this is a problem and nobody's paying attention. Nobody seems to mind when the problem is all the, the governor of Arizona's or the governor of Texas's, but they, you know, all of a sudden it's a big deal when the problem hits some blue city or some blue state. And it just shows the utter hypocrisy. This particular piece, again, it, this is commonsense.org, pawns in their shame, uh, is about Lori Lightfoot, who has had a lot to say about migrants being sent by bus to Chicago and made the point that the worst part about it is that there was no coordination or cooperation. So they were just dumped on Chicago. And then she sends 65 migrants 20 miles outside the city to Burr Ridge, a Republican city, majority voting Republican, Republican mayor, without any mentioned to the mayor without any coordination or cooperation. And of course, I know a lot of, I've seen a lot of the talk on MSNBC and CNN. I haven't seen one person call out Lori Lightfoot on that. I've seen it on Fox because of course they're the red team and they don't like the blue team, but the blue team media people will just give Lori Lightfoot a free pass. She's doing the same thing she's complaining about them doing. They're going to highlight and have interviews and have segments and then more segments about how bad Governor Abbott is, about how bad they are to treat these people like pawns. And then when Lori Lightfoot does the exact same thing, it's crickets. And so this sort of, of hypocrisy it's just, it's fatiguing and, and constant. And uh, it, it, it also shows again that, I mean, part of the underlying problem is that we don't have an immigration system that works very well for bringing people in to go to work because there are industries that need people to come in and go to work. I mean, it seems like Americans don't want to work anymore. At least, you know, we had this pandemic and people were losing their jobs, and it was it was a huge problem, such a problem that everyone had to be shipped thousands of dollars, even people who didn't lose their job. And I speak from experience because they sent me out. What, what did I get? Three, four, five thousand dollars in different increments from the federal government. I never lost my job. I didn't have any financial problems from the pandemic. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't thrilled to have a pandemic, but I don't know why the government sent me a bunch of money. I mean, it was nice. I, I got some of it back, but I have a feeling that they're just going to take more to make up for what they gave me back. Anyway, this, this, uh, this whole situation where 
we now have help wanted everywhere. But what happened to all the people who lost their job? Didn't they go back and get their job? Apparently not. Um, Or maybe there weren't so many lost jobs. Whatever the cause is, we have an immigration system that doesn't work for people who are concerned about folks from all kinds of hostile countries, hostile regimes controlling those countries coming across the border. That's one of the things that keeps being mentioned more and more, that the migrants coming over are not just from Mexico. They're not just from Central America. They're from Asia. They're from Africa. They're from the Middle East. And and so this is a situation in which when people talk about invasions, I don't think it's quite an invasion. It's not like an invading army of millions, but it is millions. And in those millions, you can have some people who are part of Al-Qaeda, who are uh, working for the CCP in China, who are, and, and I'm not, I'm, I'm speculating. I mean, some of this has been shown to be the case. I don't know to what extent, but it's, it's just, you can't argue with the, the point that our border is porous. There isn't any real control of that border. And even as it's shown, you have government officials like the vice president who says there's no problem. The, the border is totally secured. And uh, it'd be one thing to say, hey, we, we don't see it as a problem. Let them come. But they're saying it's secured. I mean, it's they can look at, you know, a, a sun in the sky and say, no, it's night. Um, and again, when we're lied to that blatantly, constantly, um, it's a sign of something else. It's a sign of a government where the people running the show feel no pressure to tell the truth, no pressure to do the right thing. They'll do whatever they damn well please. And if they get caught, they'll lie about it. And if they get caught lying about it, they'll say, well, I'm of the right party or the, the right, the, right uh, the, the correct race or the correct gender. This is a uh, recipe for uh, real, real problems. And of course, we've got them all. Yeah, well, you know what I think about this issue, uh, which is not what most of my libertarian friends used to say. In fact, one of our closest uh, mutual friends who died a few years ago was adamantly uh, pro-free immigration and zero control of the border. Uh, and I didn't understand it, partly because we don't live in the free society he wants. So what we're talking about here is people who get welfare, people who, who do strain our public services. But also there's this element of invasion. You use the word. I think it's more more. I think it's an apt word sometimes. And I'm worried about that. I don't know to what extent I I don't know where this goes exactly. But I do know that Democrats are for it for like three really ominous reasons. And I think that those ominous reasons are not good. I think that they, uh, for one thing, it's the leftist gesture. You, you take people on the outside and you say they need to come in and we're wrong for opposing them. So it's, it's th- that, it's that gesture towards the out group. And, uh, but sometimes your out group is an enemy. So that's a real problem. And that's the reason why someone might be concerned. That's one reason. Another is therefore anarcho tyranny is they want to increase I believe it's really quite clear that people in power gain power by increasing violence in in the streets and making normal peace difficult. Uh, And certainly by getting poor people from elsewhere, unvetted and uncontrolled, uh, that's they don't have to go through any hoops except the hoops. And it's just very odd. And the the third thing is I think it's very similar to the Cloward Piven strategy, which is the strategy that was invented by, you know, two social scientists in the 60s, that the idea is you want to burden the welfare state roles so much that it destroys the system, thus forcing socialism. This was college professors came up with this as a strategy for the Democratic Party, and they used it, and it has been used, and I think it's Democrats have always had it. Uh, and this is one of the reasons they're always for the downtrodden. It's not because they want to help the downtrodden. It's they want a revolution in the state because they want more power. Now, this is a bad, this is a horrible thing to say about Democrats. Most Democrats don't like it, 
Most Democrats have no idea this is in play, but the elite certainly do. I think that that is substantially accurate. Well, that's uh, frightening. And it, it, it is frightening. Of course, I think there are other folks who have this view of Fortress America where, you know, we don't want anybody to come in. There should be no immigration or something. And it's, it's silly absurd. because for one, for one, in, in less people, and look, I don't want anyone to have kids who doesn't want to have kids. But if we don't have replacement birth rates, we are going to get smaller and smaller and we, we won't be here anymore. The same thing that Elon Musk has said about China and other countries where the birth rates are, are so low that, that um, you know, it's going to be an economic problem that, that you've got fewer and fewer people to take care of older people because the older people outnumber the younger people because we're not replacing ourselves through normal procreation. And uh, it's it, it is a problem. And the the other part of it is I want to be what Tom Paine said America would become. And we have become an asylum for mankind while the rest of the world has been ripped apart by tyranny. We have been a place where people could come and and. You know, the other part of that, and I wish conservatives would pick up on this a lot more. The left that likes to talk nonstop about how terrible America is. There's an easy way to determine how terrible we are relative to the rest of the world. If we're more terrible than the rest of the world, then people, unless they're insane and deluded, are not going to be struggling to get in. I mean, it wasn't as if, you know, when they when they compared uh, some of the the places in Arizona and the border holding migrants who were coming in to, you know, concentration camps. Well, let me just tell you that Jewish people and and gypsies and political enemies of the Nazis did not scale fences to get into Nazi Germany. That wasn't the way it worked. And the idea that people are doing whatever they can to come to America, it can be a problem for all kinds of reasons, but it's also a sign that America is a better place to be than anywhere else in the world. And that's something that conservatives should point out to the blowhard leftists who want to do nothing but tear down America. And, and don't, don't think for a second, look, I'm for criticizing every single thing this country does wrong. And I'm for the freedom to criticize things that you might think they, we do wrong that I don't agree with. Because that's one of the things we do right. As, we've always, as we always say, free speech is our gift to the world and our gift to ourselves, and thank God for it. Um, but... It is important to push back against that. We're the most terrible people in the world. You know, when it comes for years, when people tell me how sexist and racist America is, I ask them to tell me where in the world are people less sexist and less racist. And I've, I've had nobody make any serious argument that there's a place in the world where people are less racist and less sexist than in, in the USA. And so, you know, that's, that it, it is time to shut up some of the, some of the crap that gets thrown around and, and not to be a love it or leave it. America's always right. That's not where we're headed. That's not what I'm talking about, but I'm talking about not allowing people to act like the United States of America is 100% evil, and that all the things like the Declaration of Independence and, and centuries of, of being an asylum for people to come, uh, being an arsenal for democracy that helped to defeat the Nazis and Imperial Japan, being there now. Uh, and, and I think we're policing the world in a way that is, is not what I would be in favor of, but I'm glad that we have some strength. Because the alternative are folks like Xi Jinping, 
The alternative are people who don't believe in any sort of human dignity and freedom. And so, you know, this one of the reasons to bring out, uh, uh, you know, some of these stories uh, is to is to let people realize um, or, or just remind people that, you know, all this we hear about how terribly sexist and racist and evil and rotten the United States is. Well, let's let's grade on a curve because, you know, human beings are are fallible creatures. We are not perfect. And once you grade on a curve, we're leading the class. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, and I want to mention that I don't necessarily think that the cloward pivot strategy works. I think that's actually a real long, long shot strategy that may, in the end, just wipe their uh their forces down democratically because there's a lot of evidence that uh, Hispanics in America and increasingly blacks are turning on the strategies like that, that they're, they're not buying the far left view of the world. And uh, if that goes true, I think, and I think it will, because the people come to America largely not to be socialists, they come to America largely not to be what they what the left wants them to be, and so uh, I think that that's it's it's the anarcho tyranny that I worry most about because tyranny can can preclude the democratic elements uh, faster than you know the cloward pivot strategy, which is kind of a, a brinksmanship of, of a different kind. You know, we're going to yes. bankrupt ourselves. It's sort of like it's very similar to the the Reagan pl ploy during before the end of the Cold War. Uh, of just breaking Russia. So we bring ourselves. Well, bringing yourself, bringing your own country, um, putting it into the red and just making it ungovernable, that doesn't necessarily go your way. And I don't think that they will go that way. And I think that there's a that's the, that's the hope of freedom in America. But the anarcho tyranny one really does does uh, concern me, at least for the near term. Because yes. That's a, that's a trap. I think the critical race theory, which I'm using here as a as a you know umbrella term for all the racist, supposedly anti-racism, um, but that has rubbed so many people the wrong way. And of course, the pushback against that has come in places like Loudoun County, Virginia, which is a democratically voting majority county. And places like San Francisco, where they throw out the prosecutor in a recall and they throw out three school board members in a recall. It's not arch right wing folks in San Francisco doing that. It is the left and it is a multiracial coalition and it is mothers and fathers who want their kids to learn, who want to take advantage of every opportunity, which is why they came to this country in the first place. And they see the Democrats paying lip service to them, but taking away their ability for their kids to do better than they did and for their grandkids to do better than their kids and so on and so on. Well, there we are. We've solved all the problems or at least offered solutions to every single problem. Yeah. We've got it all. <laughs> well, very good. This has been this week in common sense uh, for what is, what week are we in? We're in the middle of the September, I guess. We're about uh, what less than 60 days before this election. Uh, we'll have to talk more about uh, th this is, there's been a lot of interesting twists and turns, I think in, in, in this election year. Um, and and I, I think we'll we may see some more, uh, you know, because it was it was seen just to, to kind of foreshadow uh, uh, maybe next week's podcast. But uh, Republicans were seen because of Democratic overreach, uh, that this was going to be a huge red wave. And I think the abortion decision and the Democrats pulling Trump kind of back into it, they want to run against Trump uh, because they don't want to have to run it on their own merits. Because if the Democrats run saying, see what we did, they lose. It's like a big, heavy rock falling in the water. And and so they want to go against Trump because they know Trump has more negatives than positives among the public. Um but it's it it'll be interesting to see how it how it plays out. But having more negatives and positives, uh, 
is great in a presidential election, but this is an he's not on the ticket. So there's a problem there, isn't there? Because you're you're appealing to the anti-Trump sentiment, but you're not dealing with Trump. You're really dealing with a whole bunch of proxies, and they're not even proxies yeah. half the time. And, well, and that's the the you know uh, Glenn Youngkin, who's the first Republican statewide, you know, first Republican governor in in a decade or more in Virginia, uh, is ran a campaign in which he never dissed Donald Trump. But he never embraced him either. And and the whole campaign from the Democrats was to try to smear him as Donald Trump's guy. And it failed miserably. The difference is that I think some of these folks around the country are not the best candidates because they are they are Donald Trump's guys and uh, and gals. And uh, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see how much the Democrats are able to make that connection. But I do generally agree with you that it's tough to do that when Donald Trump's not on the ballot. But it, 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 I think the bigger takeaway is it shows how confident the Democrats are in their own agenda. Well, I don't see why they should be, because their agenda seems really, really crazy. Uh, to <laughs> me, it just seems nuts. Uh, and, they are, and we're dealing here with inflation and stagnation with a huge debt that America and the modern world has never seen, why would they be confident? Well, and, that, and, and, and think about that. Was it this, this week or was it the end of last week where Biden came out with his big thing about how well they had, had run the economy and how inflation was getting under control. And the very day he does it, his own statistics, his own economic statistics coming out from the government said that that inflation was much higher than they expected it to be and was continuing to run at, you know, over 8 uh, percent annually. And and uh, and he said he talked about the kitchen table issues, you know, that people care about and the inflation that was kicked up by gas prices. Well, gas prices are coming down. What's driving inflation? food costs. So that kitchen table talk by Biden. Well, I mean, who would expect that he could find the truth, much less speak it? Yeah, it's very odd. And that's the thing that bugs me the most about almost all modern politics, because the Republicans don't do good on this either. I mean, you know, they sometimes sometimes talk a half decent game, but they've never been able to control deficit spending. They are sometimes the worst offenders. And yes. Trump signed all those checks you talked about earlier. Yes. Yes. No, that's exactly stupid. right. It's stupid it, checks. This is this is one of the the one of these moments of, of great clarity. But I was on a call several months ago uh, where a number of us were listening to a pollster who had done some some deep polling in the country and looking at where people were. And he said, it's just a nightmare for Democrats. And he just went on about all the different ways that people had problems with the Democrats. And then he stopped and he said, now, don't get me wrong. None of this is that they like Republicans. <laughs> yeah, and there's every reason. Not to. It's, it's, and, but that's one of the reasons why Trump is, has an enduring appeal, right? Is that he's not really a Republican. So he gets to play it both ways. He, his strength is that he is seen as an outsider and in some ways, he is an outsider. I think in some important ways, he's not really an outsider, but in some ways he is. And and that gives him his strength. So it, it's when the establishment attacks him, it makes people think, well, he's not them. So I like him more. Um, we we need some people who are not Trump, who are who have authentic outsider status because the truth is there's, you know, I don't think the country is nearly as split as our political system produces us to be split. Um, and, and someone with any sort of authenticity as not the same old politician, you know, talking out of both sides of their mouth is going to have a lot of support. And, and frankly, as much as people find Donald Trump to be arrogant and obnoxious 
uh, and and may not like him as a person or want to live next door to him or want their kids to be like him. He is seen as not Washington and not part of the establishment. And that is a winning ticket. Well, I mean, his his strength is touching the tremendous weakness of the political establishment in this country of both parties. And that's why the deep state would love to just kill him, but they can't do it, right? It is just too difficult. We could go on in that. We should probably life. stop, but uh, but it, it sounds like we're going to have to do one next week. Yeah, and I, I, I thought we had we had solved all the problems, but now apparently, uh, I think we better come back next week, Tim. Right, and until then, people should go to thisiscommonsense.org. They should every, every day. day, every day. Mm-hmm.